0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Cup of Joe podcast on Monday, November 9th. And uh, again, wherever, however you are, I, I hope you had a marvelous weekend. I hope uh, you were able to enjoy this beautiful weather that we've been experiencing and uh, and get out at least one last time before uh, I suspect it's going to get a lot colder and it's going to stay that way for a long time. My friends, today on November the 9th, we celebrate a feast day. Uh, as Catholics, we celebrate the feast of the dedication of the Lateran Basilica in Rome. So we celebrate the feast day of a church, and that may seem odd, uh, but uh, I'll I'll try to unpack that a little bit uh, in my in my reflection after our gospel, uh, because today is a feast day. It is not a memorial. Uh, it means we get out of uh, sync with our our uh, moving through Luke. And Luke's gospel today, we will move to John. And again, the reasons why are, are uh, you'll see, uh, I, I think, a little bit. But uh, today we will go through John chapter 2, verses 13 to 22. So John two thirteen to 22. Uh, and uh, let's break open God's word here together. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, "'Take these out of here.' And stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples recalled the words of scripture, zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, what sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, this temple has been under construction for 46 years and you will raise it up in three days? but he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. My friends, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, a couple of things. Let's start by just unpacking this scripture a little bit and then um, talking about why this scripture reading in comparison to the feast day that we celebrate, the uh, dedication of uh, St. John Lateran. Um, So first of all, I remember reading this uh, scripture passage, not me reading it, the the priest or deacon reading it, years ago, and um, I used to get together with a group of people before the uh, the weekend, and we would just take a look at the scriptures coming up, and we would discuss them. And one of the gals in that discussion group looked at me and said, Joe, why is it any different uh, what we're doing today than than what we did then? I mean, we sell script in our churches afterward. Uh, we sell, you know, apple pies or... or um, you know, for our, our Catholic school or we sell, you know, uh, divine savior raffle tickets or, 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 you know, tickets for our perch dinners or, or whatever. I mean, we still do all kinds of these sales. Um, are we not making our father's house a marketplace as well? I mean, it's a good question, isn't it? Here's my answer. It was my answer then. And, and it's my answer now. And, um, I think I'm correct. I think I'm honoring what Jesus is doing here. But I, but I, I, I will give it to you. And, and if you say, Joe, I don't think you are. I, I, I welcome that, that challenge on this gospel. Two things going on here. Two things. Because, okay, Jesus goes in the temple. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers, changers seated there. So there were two things. He went and saw, sought out those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the money changers. And I think for different reasons. The money changers. Okay, if you were going to purchase anything within the outer temple area, okay, anybody could go in that outer. You couldn't go in the inner. Um, but to go in the outer, uh, you brought your money, uh, and, and it was genuine. Israel was under Roman occupation. So you brought Roman coins, which were considered uh, idolatry within Jewish um, understanding. Because again, Jesus is confronted with that later, right? When he says whose image is on the coin, uh, that idea of a graven image. Uh, And so that was an unholy artifact. So the temple had its own money. And to to buy anything within the temple area, you had to exchange your money, wherever it came from, to the temple money. And then, therefore, you could purchase. Well, what was happening is these money changers were, um, uh, you know, uh, tilting the scales, uh, you know, putting it in their favor. And so somebody wouldn't get uh, a fair exchange rate. And so, again, even within that temple area, people were being cheated out of their money. And so, let's say uh, Mary and Joseph were coming down and bringing Jesus when he was 12 years old to the temple for Passover, and they were going to buy, uh, you know, a sheep, uh, a goat, and, and oxen, uh, uh, doves. And these were normal, hardworking people. They just weren't cheating foreigners. They weren't cheating, you know, uh, Samaritans or whatever people that we don't like anybody, uh, that they're just, they're just, and maybe not even cheating as much as it, maybe that's a poor word that I'm using as they were placing, um, what we'd call interest. And that was again, at the time that's, that was against the law is, is you didn't charge someone interest for something that they, they couldn't afford. Uh, it was one for one. And for them to do that uh, was, was, again, this idea of um, mismanaging money and being dishonest, I think is the best way to say it, within the grounds of the temple, in, in the very place of God. And so to the extent that that would be going on, brothers and sisters in our churches, that absolutely needs to be overturned. We cannot be doing that. We cannot be being dishonest. Uh, to anyone or, or hiding that or doing anything that would bring dishonor to God or our community. And so that's number one. But, but I think the main thing, and the reason it says he went right away to those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, is because it represented the buying and selling of God. Uh, because one needed to have a, um, uh, for their sins to be remitted, uh, so this would have been around um, Yom Kippur, I suspect, or like I said, Passover. And, uh, and they needed to purchase something. And those who were wealthy could purchase an oxen. Those who were middle class, say, would purchase your sheep or your goat. Again, always had to be pure, uh, without spot or blemish. Uh, and those who uh, were poor would have to purchase a, a set of doves, uh, turtle doves. And these they bought and gave to the uh, temple uh, rabbis, who would then go in and uh, and butcher them, essentially, and let that blood uh, be the offering before God that would atone their sins. And, uh, and again, the blood would run out of the temple. But that was, again, this idea that uh, I needed to get this and, and purchase in order for my sins to be uh, forgiven. And the better the purchase, the more highly it was thought that uh, that my um, action was looked upon by God and and what Jesus is upsetting is that whole idea saying no God God is far brothers he's far too free to be bought and sold and and we may look at that now and say, oh how, how you know, archaic, or, or, uh, you know, we don't do that today in our day and age, and, and we're better for it. But brothers and sisters, I think we do. I think we do it all the time. We just don't use those those uh, ways that they used back then. I think we try to sell, buy and sell God in in numerous other ways. And and whether that is, oh, if I go to church, now I am not saying any of you do that. But let's say somebody had the idea that if I go to church, God will be pleased, and therefore... Um, uh, I'll, I'll be forgiven of, of whatever or or my life would be okay. Uh, if, if I say the right things, if I think the right things, if I do the right things, um, then in almost in a sense and I'll use a poor analogy, but in, in a sense it's almost like God is this vending machine into which I put these things and God gives what I, you know, am, am asking for, not just in prayer, but I mean, in, in this atonement idea that God, uh, God reacts to me. And so therefore God can be bought or sold based on what I'm coming in with and, and I can buy and and sell my forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, I think what Jesus is, is is, what his zeal is for here is for the free, the freedom of God that God is far, far too free to be purchased by us and, and by our actions. God is not reactionary to us in the least. And and I I, I should have looked this up before, but I, but the scripture that comes to mind when I'm just sitting here chatting is love co- covers a multitude of sins. That it is not my outward appearance or outward uh, whatever I'm saying or, or even doing or... or um, Uh, the the things that that I may be going to, or the the clubs in which I'm involved, or the, the money even I'm giving to charity. Nothing wrong with all those things, brothers and sisters. But what God wants is that heart. He wants a free heart that we're giving to him that says, here, God, this is yours. This is yours. Do with it what you will. Change me. Let me be the one who is changed by your goodness and your action. That you are free, Lord, to enter in here and, and move me and, and not the other way around. That God is free, brothers and sisters. He remains free. And no matter what we do and what we say and we try to maneuver and entrap and, and, and or, or put God in a box and say God needs to do this. No, Jesus would, would, would continue to upend anything that we do as individuals, as communities of faith that says, God must do this if I do this. God is far too free for that. God is far too free. I think of the uh, wonderful Isaiah quote, Isaiah 55. Oh, let all who come, uh, come to the water without money, without price. Uh, Come, receive grain, and eat. Uh, God is free. He, He invites us to that banquet table, to that place of freedom. Um, but we must come, we must come free of all these things that we, we bring and want to place and structures around that say, you must do this. Jesus is arguing for the freedom of God here and, and his zeal. So let me get to the feast day. I have talked far too long on that. and I want to get to the feast day. His zeal is for this God who is in a sense embodied, now now don't hear me wrongly, God is not contained within the temple. We know that, we know that. The Babylonian exile, if nothing else, taught us that. Uh, the the temple when it's raised in 70 A.D. will teach us that. So God is not contained within the temple anymore than God is contained within our churches. But that doesn't mean he is not embodied there. And that that temple area, just as our churches today, we could say, "Ah, oh, God isn't there. Why don't we use that money and give it to the poor? Which is a reasonable th- thought. But at the same time, it says, but it shows our great love of God and, and it shows our great... Uh, us being in awe of him and, and how beyond he is and majestic and and something of of small detail doesn't show the the grandeur of God, and it's our humble feeble way of showing that as as was the temple in that day, as our, our uh, you know our, our churches do today, mm-hmm. and and his zeal was not for bricks. His zeal was for the God that those bricks pointed to. Remember, let's not just stop at the at the finger. Let's look at where they're pointing. And that's what this feast day is about. Not a feast of bricks. It's a feast of where it points to. And many people uh, think of um, the the main church in our Catholicity, in our Catholicism, as St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Makes perfect sense. You know, it's in Vatican City, and and it becomes that symbol of unity for us. But it's not, brothers and sisters. It's St. John Lateran. It's St. John Lateran. When the Church in 313, with the Edict of Milan, under the leadership of Constantine, went from went from being an underground church, being persecuted, and that Edict of Milan, which was, it didn't say, by the way, that Catholicism would become the Church of the Roman Empire. It basically made uh, Catholicism free to be um, to be practiced. And uh, but but. Uh, uh, Constantine favored it because that's what he, he was uh, a convert to in his later days. And so, therefore, you can see where that's going to go, but I don't have time for that. When this all happened in the 4th century, early 4th century in Rome, one of the wealthiest families in Rome was the Lateran family, and they had donated to Constantine some prime real estate within the city of Rome. And that was where the first church within uh, the Roman Empire was built. And it was St. John, and we call it St. John Lateran because of the Lateran family, but it was the Feast of St. John. And that church, brothers and sisters, is the church of the Pope. It is the church of of today. It is Francis's church, the church at which he is the pastor, of which he is the pastor. Not St. Peter's in, in Vatican City, It is St. John Lateran. And so just as the Pope is that visible symbol of unity within the church, so is the Feast of St. John Lateran. So is the St. John Lateran Church. It is that church which shows the unity of, of our church. In a sense, that is... It is not only celebrating the the fact that it was built or or the church, the beginning of the, of the the expansion of the church and the movement outward, but it shows the unity. It is it is our parish church. It is our it is our first parish church. It is not only the first parish church, it is you and my. It is our church. and And it is again, a symbol of unity. Don't get caught up on the bricks and the mortar. that if this church dies, we as a church die. No. Remember where it is pointing to our unity and our unity in, uh, the, the, the unity of the papacy in, in the unity of our church that we are one. And that's what this is. Think of in our country, how we revere, uh, Independence Hall, uh, the place where the, uh, Declaration of Independence was signed on July the 4th in 1776, uh, or think of the Old North Church in Boston. Uh, where merely uh, it is the site where two lanterns were shown um, up on, on top that set forth the, the ride of Paul Revere and others. But they hold a special place within us because of uh, their specialness to, to who we are as a country. And, and what they symbolize and what began there. Because again, remember, don't, don't get caught up in the bricks and mortar of the Old North Church or Independence Hall, but what they point to, what they point to. Same with St. John Lateran, what it points to, our unity. Our unity as a church and, and in our Catholicism. Um, that's, that's it, universal. That's what it means, by the way, right, to be Catholic, universal. That's what we're pointing to in this feast day. Oh, I talked way too long. So sorry. Um, Let's pray the rosary uh, together today and uh, and, end with uh, prayer. So let's bring our intentions before our Blessed Mother at this time. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, Today, the first luminous mystery, the baptism of Jesus. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Brothers and sisters, bless you on this feast day. Uh, May you be held in God's loving embrace. And I hope we're able to get back together tomorrow and break open God's word once again. Peace.